What's up, everybody? want to start off with a little info from our new sponsor, DraftKings. So the return we've been waiting for is finally here, all right? One of the sport's most notorious icons stepping up into the octagon this Saturday. That's MMA, if you're not aware. DraftKings, the official daily fantasy partner of the UFC, is giving you a free shot at huge cast prizes. For this weekend's fight, DraftKings is offering new players a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Millions of dollars, dude? Tell me which one of you couldn't use millions of dollars, you know? Uh, If you haven't tried it yet, Fantasy MMA is a thing, and it's actually really easy to do. All you have to do is pick six fighters, you stay under the salary cap, pile up points for advances, takedowns, and more. So, um, you know, no better way to put your MMA knowledge to the test than to complete at a shot for millions of dollars. Go get your millions of dollars. Uh, You can play fantasy football as well. Football playoffs, DraftKings has even more money up for grabs this weekend. So go do it this weekend. It's it's secure and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So you don't have to wait. Some of these sites will make you wait and do all that stuff. Uh, if you're in a state where you can bet, I know North Carolina, sorry, we're working on it. Um, but, you know, maybe you're in Vegas. Listen to this. Cool. Go place your best DraftKings is the place to do that as well. So download the DraftKings app now. Use promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes throughout the weekend. That's promo code THPN to get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. What is up, everybody? Mikey CLT here from Bar Down Breakdown. Letting you know that our 100th episode is going to be dropping exclusively on the Hockey Podcast Network on January 27th. We will be joined by special guest Derek from the amazing pop punk band State Champs. Make sure you subscribe and follow us on all our socials so you do not miss any of our amazing episodes. We are so pumped that we have made it to episode 100. And to thank you, we are running an Instagram contest where one lucky winner can win a Steez brand snapback hat. So head over to our Instagram and enter our contest. Also, if you are just hearing about Bar Down Breakdown, make sure you go and check out our 99 other episodes where we have had artists who have been nominated for Grammys, all the way down to artists who are unsigned, where we dive into the crossover between alternative music and hockey. So make sure you go and check out Bar Down Breakdown wherever you listen to podcasts. Brought to you exclusively by the Hockey Podcast Network. You're listening to the Hockey Podcast Network. Your home for hockey talk covering every team in the NHL. New episodes every Monday. Download at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com or wherever you get your podcasts from. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Canes Train Podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. Games have happened! Hooray! You know, the unfortunate thing whenever there's two games to talk about uh, on an episode is when the Hurricanes lose the second one. Because then it's like all the most recent stuff in your head that you're thinking about 
is like, you know, not good. I'd rather it be good. Um, but hey, it's still really, really early. So I would just say in general, as we start this one out, if you're a person who has kind of made up their mind on anything after two games, and I know it's a shortened season. I know that they all matter. Trust me. Um, I do know that, but, uh, if you're someone who's like made a final conclusion about this team based on two games, uh, I would say you're a little crazy. Uh, you know, it's, it's the most different season we've ever seen before in NHL history and it's going to take some time. It shouldn't, you know, cause all these players are used to the system, but when you haven't played in a long time like that, um, you know, the first five games or so of the regular season every year are kind of wild. You usually see more up and down action, and then teams start to settle down. Uh, I don't think it'll be any different this year. We'll just be, you know, it'll it'll be more, uh, like, eyes will be on it more because there's less games. So you don't really have time to mess around and find your game. Like, you have to find it right away. So the Hurricanes 1-1, one one, um, they split the series against the Detroit Red Wings. And, you know, you heard me talk to the Red Wings rant guys last week about the fact that, one, I don't think Detroit is, you know, a horrible team. Like, I don't think that they have the pieces to be, you know, pushing for playoffs or anything like that. But they have a lot of young talent. I think you saw Dylan Larkin in that second game kind of take over. You saw they mentioned, uh, you know, Philip Zadina as a guy to watch out for. And I thought he had a really good couple of games against the Hurricanes as well, so... There's talent on that team. Now, the Hurricanes are by far the more talented team. And so you still need to find a way for your... The best players need to be the best players. Let's start with game one. Let's just go ahead and go through these. Game one, the story to me was the best player on the ice was Sebastian Ajo. Um, you know, that needs to be the case in games like this. Um, we've we've seen a lot of times Sebastian Ajo either start a season on fire or start a season cold as ice. Um, so you'd like to see the first one, uh, or if anything, you'd like to just see him consistent throughout the year. I thought that that first game, he did not look like he was warming up to the season. He looked like he came ready to play. Um, his competitive nature shined through. He was phenomenal in the neutral zone. Um, and you know, you just get down to that first goal and tremendous positioning, amazing, you know, hand-eye coordination forces the turnover how many times have you heard me say that these guys don't need to worry about, you know, these offensive-minded guys don't need to worry about forcing, you know, scoring chances because if they just take care of the defensive side first, worry about that, worry about getting the puck and doing it the right way, then the scoring will just come. You see there, Ajo's worried about, you know, being in good position, taking away ice from the Red Wings. He forces a turnover, and then what does it do? It puts him in a good position to create a scoring chance. He's so talented that if he's in an, in an advantageous position, he's going to take advantage. And, I mean, the the strength to, to hold off the defender there, and then he never looked up. I, was, I, I watched that replay so many times to just go, where does he see Nino here? He never looked up. He just knew. He just knew that Nino Niederreiter or Tavo Teravainen would be at the front of the net uh, you heard Nino say it in an interview after the game that you just when you're out there with those two, you just have to be ready for a pass like at all times um, because they will surprise you with one for sure. That was an amazing pass. And then how about Nino Niederreier? Um, I, I've also talked about this a lot before the season started, that that's the guy that the Hurricanes need to produce this year if they're going to be successful. Um, and 
what was going to be incredibly important for him was confidence off the bat. Well, I don't know that you get much better confidence than uh, not only scoring the first goal of the season, but it's not like it was a tap-in. It's not like it was a rebound or an empty net or anything like that. He earned that goal. I mean, the confidence to hang on to the puck like that, when you're not going, when you're not confident in your abilities, as soon as you get a clear shooting lane in the slot like that, you're like, I got to shoot immediately. That's that's how that works. Like as a player, I can tell you that's that's definitely how it works. You're you're anxious, and as soon as you get an opportunity, your brain is all, I have to bury this, and then just immediately you just don't even think. You just try to force it into the net. That's not the the way for success to happen. the The best players in the world aren't playing like that. They're playing like um, I'm gonna score because you know I have the ability to score, and they're they're calculating the best way to score. Um, so Nino gets the puck, the patience to make that first kind of, you know, backhand, forehand move to open up Grice a little bit. And then just, you know, you see his scoring ability, puts the puck in the net. Uh, I was really impressed with that entire play. Now, if we're going to, I don't think the rest of that game, <clears throat> there's a whole lot to talk about scoring wise. I mean, yeah, we got, we got the, the second goal in that one, um, Coming on the uh, on the power play from Ryan Dezingle, which is another, you know, hey, if you were going to pick two guys that needed to score, I mean, ultimately, I would pick three. Nino, Dezingle, and Trocek. And Trocek will get into it the next game, obviously puts one in. Um, but Dezingle, you know, out front on the power play, it kind of just hits him. But, hey, that's where he needs to be. Um, I thought that he played pretty well. You know, he didn't, he's not in a role where he's going to play a ton of minutes uh, unless he, you know, kind of, proves that he's ready for that role which you know I I agree I still think it's going to take more time to prove that but it seemed like he accepted his role as a kind of an energy guy and he does that well I think I think that he he can he can you know if he's willing to be a little bit more physical and uh kind of be more of like a pest than a you know top line finesse scorer uh he can play that fourth line role really well so enough about that tangent let's get back to the first game in general, um, I thought that the Hurricanes looked okay. Um, they started off real shaky. Then they got into their game a little bit, settled it down, and you saw how they kind of controlled the flow of play for a large portion of that game. Uh, as it went to the second period, I thought that they got a little sloppy at parts again. They were good at parts. Um, you know, they were putting a lot of shots on net, but not a lot of dangerous chances, really. And I'm actually going to go here. I have the natural statric, um, you know, five on five stats for that game pulled up. If you if you haven't been around for a long time, just the way I usually look at these games is I'm not a by any means I am not a analytics tell the whole story guy. Um, you know, I've played the game. I understand that there are certainly pieces that can't, aren't quantifiable that matter that do push the outcome of the game. At the same time, I understand math and numbers and statistics, and uh, these measurable quantities are certainly useful for uh, tracking the game as well. So I like to enter, you know, mix the story of does does what we see on paper match up to what our eyes saw? That's to me the important thing. And if you look at this first game in which the Hurricanes win three nothing, uh, the first thing that probably stands out to you is the Corsi percentage. Which, if you don't know what Corsi is, it's it's shot attempts for. Um, and shot attempts against. So it doesn't have to hit the net. It just means that you attempted to take a shot. Block shots count as well. Um, the Hurricanes ended up at 58, Red Wings 29. That's for the game. Uh, so a 66.67% um, 
Corsi force percentage for the Hurricanes, which is really good, which would tell your mind that the Hurricanes had the puck way more than the Red Wings did that game. And I would say that that's probably correct. Uh, you know, I felt that way as well. The Red Wings didn't get a lot of shots, but they did get chances. And I think the more interesting statistic that we see here that really confirms what I saw in that game is when you go to the high danger chances. Now, high danger chances, and one of those up in the air things are like, what? What is it? You know, it's defined differently by each person that's going to count it. So it's another human error element of uh, statistics. You know, I mean, it's not it's not really completely math at that point when a person is deciding what counts and what doesn't. Like in math, the universe decides what counts and what doesn't. Like it's just kind of truths. Um, but useful number to look at. It's basically it's basically based on how close to the net are they? You know how how much of a chance did that have to go into the net when they shot it? So it's definitely a weird stat that's up in the air for, you know, to determine what is and what isn't. But it's usually gives you a good idea of, of who was more dangerous in the game. The Corsi is like, all right, who had the puck in the zone more? But hey, you could have, you know, 80% Corsi forced and still lose because all of your shots were from, you know, places where any goalie in the league is going to make all the saves and all the other team's shots were from, you know, tap-ins in front of the goal. So doesn't really matter if the overall goal of the game is to score more goals, then possession is a great way to start. But if you're not getting actual chances, it really doesn't matter. Uh, all you're doing is maybe your goalie is probably less confident in the net because he hasn't faced as many shots and the vice versa for the other goalie. Um, so high danger chances forced in that first game. This is the game where the Hurricanes won 3 nothing. If I asked you who, who had more high danger chances on paper, you'd probably think it was the team that won 3 nothing and that doubled up the uh, opponent in shot attempts, right? That would make sense. But uh, when we look at it here, the Hurricanes had seven high-danger chances forced. The Red Wings had eight. And on 29 shot attempts to have eight, what that tells me is that the, the Hurricanes' defense was a little sloppy uh, in portions of the game, and when they were giving stuff up, it was big stuff. And that means that Peter Morozik was good in that game, uh, which I really do think he was. Um, so to me, that kind of tells the story of that game. The Hurricanes were good enough. Um, they weren't fantastic, but they they were good in the neutral zone. They were good on the forecheck, and that allowed them to keep the puck in the opponent's zone. They were also good in the faceoff circle, which I'll get to that and why I think that that is incredibly underrated part of the game. Uh, and, you know, it will continue to be proven throughout this season because it's just like it's a truth. So it, you will recognize it if you're paying attention to it, how important faceoffs are. A lot of people don't pay attention to that, but um, I can tell you it it matters a lot, like a lot, a lot. It's who starts with the puck, you know, it should make sense. Um, the expected goals for this game, which again, if you're not familiar with these sort of basic analytics, um, an expected goal is essentially a, a probability per shot that it goes in. So let's say that this shot had a 3% chance of fighting the net, it's a .03 expected goal, right? That makes that should make sense. So all those add up together. Uh, it's basically a weighted average of um, your shot total and how the quality of your shots. It's a good it's a good uh, barometer for that. So obviously, if you have way more shots than the other team, your expected goal total should be way up. Now, if you wanted to do an expected goal total per shot, uh, the Red Wings probably blew the Canes out of the water in this one. But since the Hurricanes had the volume, uh, two point two three expected goals for the Canes, one point four three for the Red Wings. So um, you know, the Red Wings just didn't get a lot in that game, but when they had it in the zone, they definitely created their chances. Uh, and that's the kind of stuff the Hurricanes 
will want to nix. But overall, a um, lot of positives to take away from that first game. Uh, Nino getting on the board was huge for me. Sebastian Ajo being the best player in the game. That's always going to be big. You're always going to be a fan of that. Uh, I thought Morozik played really well. Um, you know, he's he didn't have to stop a ton of shots, but it's not like they were all easy by any means. You see that eight, eight high danger chances on 29 shot attempts. Um, that's a pretty high percentage. So, um, you know, he had to be good in that one. The other positives, um, I thought Slavin was good. Um, I thought that, you know, the defense in general looked okay. I thought that Hayden Flurry was really good in that first game. Um, and that was encouraging to see because you've heard me talk about how we really have had a smaller sample size of, of Hayden Flurry and what is he going to be. And a lot of people just want to, you know, take the end of last season and say that he's going to be a, a really, really good top four defenseman. Uh, but the reality is in, you know, 20, 30 games, it's not enough to make that claim. So you love to see the start. You hope that he can carry it forward, though, and that's what we're monitoring. So in game one, I would say he, he picked up right where he left off for sure. Um, so that was encouraging. thought the power play looked good. Um, you know, they got a lot of chances. Dezingle gets that goal. Um, I don't remember if that was actually a power play goal or not. I don't think it was. Uh, I think it came, like, right after the power play expired, but essentially a power play goal. Uh, they were set up for the power play. Uh, you know, I, uh, I thought that Aho and Teravina were really good. I thought that Svechnikov left a little to be desired, uh, but maybe, you know, getting used to having to create more chances without the high-end talent that he's used to playing with for a long period of time. So, you know, that was, that was game one. Not amazing. Um, some things to improve on the, the, the D had some trouble getting out of the zone a few times, which, you know, um, Shouldn't be an issue for these guys. If we're going to talk about how good the Hurricanes' defense is and how much depth they have there, then we can't be worrying about getting the puck out of our zone for extended periods of time against the Detroit Red Wings, you know? Um, and again, no disrespect to the Red Wings. I'm not saying that's an easy task against, you know, guys like Dylan Larkin and Anthony Mantha and, and um, you know, Bertuzzi and guys like that coming at you, but you have to be able to do it against any team. So, you know, one of the, one of the you know, bottom 10, 10 teams in the league, like, shouldn't be a... a challenge for you and it seemed like it was for periods of that game I thought that Brett Pesci looked um you know okay not his normal self but hey what are you going to expect from a guy who hasn't played since February uh of last year so you know I thought that he looked pretty good with all you know all that being the the case that he hasn't played in that long um you know he's being expected to play top four minutes he's still Brett Pesci at the end of the day it's really exciting to see him back he's 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 my favorite defenseman on this team um, I just really like the way he plays, and I think he makes everyone around him that much better, which is why I think that Brady Shea um, can have a really good year playing with Brett Pesci if Brett's able to elevate himself to you know his normal gameplay. Now, Brady Shea in that game, uh, I liked a lot, and I didn't like a lot. And I think that that's what we're going to get from Shea. I think that that's, that's what I've taken away from him so far. He's got a lot of positives and negatives, but they even out to a good player. You know, I think that he got a bad rep in New York because, uh, you know, the rest of the team defense isn't there enough to where when he makes a mistake, it's going to end up in the back of the net a lot. Well, when he makes a mistake on the Hurricanes, it's going to show, but he's also got, you know, um, decent goaltending. Uh, I mean, I think that Peter Morazic and James Reimer have proven that they're up to the challenge of uh, high danger chances and, and making stops when they need to. Um, and, you know, he's got a defensive partner who is better than anyone he's played with in recent history, I think. Um, and then you look at uh, his positives, and he is 
an elite skater. I mean, he he's going to be able to beat anyone out of the defensive zone when he starts behind his net and he decides to skate out of the zone. Unless it's like three on one, he's probably going to make it out every single time. He's just a really good skater. I like that about him a lot. He is way more physical than I anticipated. I mean, he's a big guy who can skate, so you just kind of hope that he's willing to throw his body around. And man, in that first game, he he was hitting everything. I actually really like that in general about the Hurricanes' first game against Detroit was the level of physicality and the willingness to to go out there and and you know play that way. I think that if if we were going to have a uh, like a what's the word I'm looking for a negative assessment of the team kind of keeping basically the same roster together, it would be that maybe they lacked a little bit of physicality and that hurt them against the grindier teams. Well, you know, I think that they have pieces that just need to be more willing to do it. Their defense in general needed to get more physical. I think that if Brady Shea is going to hit people, you get a lot more of that um, Justin Falk physicality back, which you can say what you want about Justin Falk, but, um, you know, he was a, a physical player on the de- de- um, defense <laughs> that that helps you, you know. Your D being physical is good as long as they can also skate, and uh, Brady Shea gives you that to me. And I like that a lot. I thought that he looked pretty good in the offensive zone. He's He makes questionable decisions with the puck uh, a bit too much. But as long as you make up for it, I'm okay with that. It's the reason why last year I think Jake Gardner got a lot of flack because, dude, if you're going to if you're gonna make mistakes, make up for it. And I think in the second half of the year we started giving Jake more leeway because he was making up for it. He was making the plays that, you know, it's okay to make mistakes on defense. I mean, it is it is... I've played defense a lot. It is extremely difficult to go a game without making a mistake that like could definitely come back to hurt you. And you just hope that it doesn't when you do, but um you know, players that you see that are like quiet players like Brett Pesci, Jacob Slavin, like you might not notice them in a game. That's because they are so good at not making those mistakes. Like it is unbelievable. That is elite talent. I'm here to tell you that that the, not being able to not notice a defenseman in a good way in a game means that they are damn good at the game of hockey um, because that is really hard to... You're just in so many high-pressure situations. The puck on your stick, in your zone, with guys coming to take it from you, at that level, at that speed of the game, uh, it is very difficult to make the right play every single time, and a lot of those guys do. So I think that, you know, for the guys that don't always... It's going to happen, but go make up for it with your other positives. You know, if that's a if that's a negative, we're going to say that Brady Shea is going to turn the puck over, uh, you know, too many times. Okay, so be it. We're going to have to deal with that. Let his skating ability, let his physicality, let his willingness to, you know, make plays in the offensive zone and lead to scoring chances. He's got a good shot as well. You know, let all that stuff come to fruition. And I think that you call it a wash, if not a, a net positive, you know. Uh, so we'll be tracking that. I'll be tracking that as the season goes on, you know, how how is he going to make up for the mistakes that, you know, just inevitably inevitably will come from a player like Brady Shea. But overall I was I was uh, you know, uh, I was net positive on him, you know. There was plenty of times where I was like, what are you doing? But then there was also times where I was like, wow, that that was impressive. So, um, I think that he made mistakes, but he definitely made up for them, and that's all you can ask for from a guy like that. So, Game one, you know, not a ton to take out of it. His first game of the season, but, um, you know, guys scoring to get their confidence up at the beginning is great. Spashnaho who's starting the season out as the best player on the ice, is obviously fantastic. The power play looked good. The goaltending looked good. Um, you know, they just, the offense didn't really execute on its chances uh, other than, you know, 
the power play looking pretty good and that you know amazing play by Ajo to get it to Nino. That was good to see, but uh, that was few and far between that game. I think they had a few more chances to bury stuff, and but overall they didn't look extremely dangerous. So if you're going to have a criticism of the offense in that game, it was definitely that they didn't look all that dangerous. Um, let's move on to game number two, because I know this is what's fresh on everyone's mind. 4-2 loss, Hurricanes lose to the Red Wings. I think that early on here, a lot of people have questions about, you know, how's this going to work with the season series like... You know, I heard Chip Alexander last night ask several questions. When I say last night, I mean Saturday. I'm recording this on Sunday. Um, heard him ask a couple of times about, you know, the second night of a two-game series. Is the team that lost the first night, you know, going to make adjustments and and come out hungrier? I think the question is, of course, they should make adjustments if they have any semblance of what they're doing. Um, but if you're going to let the, if if you're if your compete level is going to drop from the first game to the second game because you won, you're going to struggle. I don't care who the other team is. And you could see that, you know, we can take Detroit for granted all we want, but uh, you don't compete against them. It's not going to go well. And that's what that second game was to me. The Hurricanes came out flat. The Hurricanes continued to be flat. I think in the third period, they put forth a pretty good effort for maybe 10 minutes. Um, and Andre Svechnikov started to take over the game. Uh, but... You give too many chances to the Red Wings, and they have the players to hurt you. Dylan Larkin had a really good game. Philip Zadina had a really good game. Um, you know, any team in this league has players that will hurt you if you give them the opportunity. So don't do it, you know? Uh, we can go through the stats in this one, too. I think that they, they show an interesting story here, and I also want to talk about Jordan Stahl because, obviously, if you look at what was the biggest difference, not in gameplay, but in just, like, what was happening between games, well, it's that you lost your captain. Um, for the second game. And real quick, I'll just touch on the COVID protocol thing. Um, it, uh, it can mean so many things. And by the time this comes out, you may even know more about it. I mean, Jordan Stahl could certainly have COVID. Like, he, he could. Um, but the reality is it's actually way more likely that um, it's a contact tracing thing. So, um, you know, there's just it leaves it open for so many possibilities. Uh, you know, it could be, it could be that he has it one. It could be that he was in contact with someone seven degrees later that, you know, tested positive. So there's like a 0.2% chance that he contracted it, but still the chance exists. So he will isolate. Um, it could be for a lot of reasons. It could be for personal reasons that he had to, you know, go somewhere. I mean, you just never know. I don't think that happened, but, uh, you never know what that could be. So I wouldn't panic about it yet. But it 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 is going to be a negative the longer that Jordan stalls out. I think this second game proved to you what a valuable PC is. And I guess, hey, let's start off with this point. Let's talk about faceoffs. In that first game, the Hurricanes won the majority of the faceoffs. Um, you know, I, I I don't have the stat in front of me, but I believe it was like a sixty percent, forty percent faceoff uh, split in favor of the Hurricanes. Look, if you just think common sense. I, I think we just take face-offs for granted. Like, they're just how the play starts. It doesn't really matter. Oh, so what? You won more face-offs. Like, the better team should still win. If, just thinking about it common sense-wise, whoever wins the face-off has the puck, right? Is it is it not clearly more advantageous to start with the puck as many times as possible? Like, doesn't that drive the play every time? Especially offensive zone face-offs which obviously happen a lot. Um, 
you win that. You start with the puck in the offensive zone. That's a huge advantage on that play. So to me, we don't talk about the importance of faceoffs enough. Uh, some people do, but I think a lot of people still take them for granted. Well, if you needed a reason to care more about faceoffs, that game was your example because the Hurricanes got beat in the faceoff circle in that one. Um, and let's look at the difference in, in Corsi. It went from 58-29 to uh, 45-30, still in favor of the Hurricanes. Um, but hey, that's, you know, that's the difference right there. Um, Detroit had the puck a little more. It went from, you know, 67-33 to 60-40. Obviously, the Hurricanes are just a team that's going to be up in that Corsi forced. They also put a lot of shots on net that aren't incredibly dangerous. Like I said, if you weighted the expected goals per shot, I think a lot of nights you'd see the Hurricanes lose that one. Their shooting percentage is typically pretty low. Um, there's a lot of reasons for that, but uh, I want to look at something here, and that is the high danger chances forced. The Hurricanes had six, the Red Wings had four. So to me, that just exemplifies how that first game, maybe you thought the Hurricanes were more dangerous because of the Corsi percentage than they actually were. Because the Red Wings had more chances than the Hurricane, high danger chances than the Hurricanes in game one. And despite the fact that I think we would all say the Hurricanes played a poor game in game number two, they had more high danger chances than the Red Wings did. So you can call that what you want. You can call that, uh, you know, the weirdness of what is a high danger chance. I, I would, you know, I could definitely see that argument. Um, but the Hurricanes had some chances. They just didn't bury uh, enough of them. And the 50-50 battles, I mean, it wasn't even close. Detroit won the vast majority of 50-50 battles. Game one, the Hurricanes were winning all of those battles. It's the reason why it felt like they had the puck the whole game, because they did, and they weren't incredibly dangerous with it, but keeping it away from Detroit was enough to get a shutout, and you're going to win any game that you score in, and the other team doesn't, right? So that's a recipe for success. If you're not going to have your entire game together, at least keep possession of the puck for the vast majority of the game. You're going to win, you know, 90% of those games. Uh, this game... Without Jordan Stahl in the lineup, you saw the Hurricanes lose significantly more faceoffs. I thought that Sebastian Ajo had a bad night in the in the circle, and if you're gonna have anything bad to say about him, uh, you know that's he needs to work on that. <laughs> he he's I I know he has. I'm not saying that Sebastian Ajo just doesn't care about faceoffs. I know that his coach is Rod Brindamore. There's no way they don't work on that all the time. Um, but if he could get more dangerous in the faceoff circle, it would make him a much more dangerous player, even. Than he already is, and that's scary to think about. Uh, I think that Vincent Trocheck's good in the faceoff circle, but you take you take Stall out, and what are you left with? You're left with you know Aho, um, you're left with Morgan Geeky, you're left with Vincent Trocheck, and uh, you know you're left with like if you're throwing Jordan Martin, at circle, you know, there's just not a lot of people I would say are great at faceoffs. I think that Vincent Trocheck becomes your best faceoff option there. Uh, and it's not like he's a you know 55 60% guy every night so you're you're going to lose the majority of faceoffs uh and it just matters like Jordan Stahl matters on this team the way he plays matters his line is usually able to win a lot of their 50-50 battles and i think if you're looking for proof of that look at these difference between these two games with and without him in the lineup uh the hurricanes won almost all the 50-50 battles that i paid attention to the first night and in the second game, they lost most of them. So, you know, I, I'm not saying that's all Jordan Stahl by any means. He's not on the ice 60 minutes a game. In fact, you know, 14, 15 minutes is probably the max you'll see him on the ice this season. But to pretend that it doesn't make a difference is definitely 
incorrect. So Jordan Stahl, big part of this team, uh, obviously matters a ton. So it'll be interesting to see how long they're out. I will point out that last season, you know, they they didn't have uh, Jordan Stahl, or two years ago, sorry. They didn't have Jordan Stahl for a significant period of time. Somebody had to step up. His name was Lucas Ballmark. He filled that role really well. He was able to produce as well. Uh, I thought he had a really good season. The Hurricanes don't have that piece anymore. You know, they have Vincent Trocek instead, um, but they also don't have Eric Hollis. So, like, Vincent Trocek isn't filling the role that Lucas Walmart was. So who's going to fill that role? Can it be Morgan Geeky? If if a guy's going to be out, you know, is he going to be able to step in and take on even more of a role with this team? I like the pieces I've seen from Geeky. I don't think his game is as there as Walmart's was, um, but he's also not there development-wise, you know? He doesn't have the experience yet. He's only played a handful of NHL games, you know? We don't really know what we have in Morgan Geeky yet, but I like what I've seen so far. Um, and that's another positive you can take away from this game. Uh, so, there you go. I don't. There's not even a ton to talk about in the, uh, in the second game there. The Hurricanes were just flat. Um, they lost too many battles. They lost too many face-offs. They weren't dangerous at all until the third period. And then Svechnikov was the driving force of that. So it seemed like when Svechnikov wasn't on the ice, not a lot of danger. Aho wasn't great. Teravainen wasn't great. Um, you know, they got outshined by the... I've, I've talked about this a lot too. You're, the best players have to be the best players. If they are, your team will probably win. If your best players are better than the other team's best players, like the more nights Sebastian Aho's the best player on the ice, the more games the Hurricanes are going to win. He wasn't. I thought that Dylan Larkin was the best player on the ice um, in this game. And you see what he was able to do, push his team to a victory. So credit to those guys. I think that Detroit had a really good game, actually. I think if we're, you know, you, you can't just look at it as, oh, does my team play well or do they play bad? Like the other team's trying to win, too. So I think that it was a combination of the Hurricanes not playing well and Detroit playing really well. I thought they played their game really well. Um, I also thought that the Hurricanes got sucked into the up and down game more, um, which I don't think is a way for them to play. You know, uh, the structure. Is going to if you're looking for a way to, you know, like a, a cheat code to consistently beat the the bottom of the league, it's going to be structure. The bottom of the league doesn't typically have the most structure. Uh, it's it's even proved by the fact that you see guys like Ryan Dezingle struggle going from a team like Ottawa to a team like Columbus to a team like Carolina, because in Ottawa wasn't a whole lot of structure. Just go. Natural talent tends to shine, but guess what? You also lose a lot of games. So. That's what these bad teams, you know, they they don't have the pieces. So the natural talent is just going to go shine. Um, but you're going to get scored on. You're going to give up chances. You're going to do all that sort of stuff. So uh, just not a good recipe falling into that up and down game. You want to play that, that structured game. You want to, um, you know, control the neutral zone. I thought that the Red Wings did that in game two. And that's why that they took home the victory. Uh, Peter Morozik was good. Reimer, I thought Reimer might get a shot tonight, but hey, stick with Morozik. I, I would assume that Reimer plays next game because I would think you want to keep him in the rotation, right? Even if it's a couple of games Peter plays and then one round, you know, I could. Peter has proven that, you know, he's he's able to take on that larger role. And if he's playing well, keep going. I, I wouldn't mind if they put him in next game, but I do think it would be advantageous to get Reimer in. I don't think you really lose anything. That's the great thing about two goalies is that you can trust both of them to win you a game. Uh, so... <clears throat> excuse me, I wouldn't mind seeing him next game just to get him into the, the mix and, you know, what we're talking about. But Morozik was good, both those games. You can't fault any goal that was scored on him um, to him. And obviously zero were scored on him in the first game to the second game. 
and one of them was a you know fluky goal out front, tapped off of two different people and went in. And then uh, the second one was, you know, Hayden Flurry just missed his assignment. Hayden Flurry had a rough game in game number two. Um, you know, I I don't want to give him too much flack for the second goal, uh, although I will say that you know it's his responsibility. There's no there's no sugarcoating that, but. It was unfortunate what happened because first of all that penalty was nonsense. I mean, have you seen it? Go Brett Finger uh, you know, does a ton of gifts throughout the game. You can go look at his his feed. I give him credit for that. I also retweeted his so you can go check out at Kane Strain Pod and see the gif of of this flop. I mean, Brady Shea taps him. I mean taps him. Like, I'm not using tap as a, oh, he hacked him pretty good, and I'll call it a tap. No. I mean, there was not a lot of force behind the stick tap to the, you know, top of the ankle area. And this man went, like, the definition of diving. How that's not caught by a referee, the league will look at that for sure. But you got to kill the penalty, right? On the penalty kill, uh, I think it was Jordan Martinook gets hit with a shot. He's hurt. Uh, and you're like, uh-oh. And then Hayden Flurry, I think actually Hayden Flurry got hit with a shot first. He's hurt. He's hobbling around. Now he has to take care of stuff in front of the net while he's like struggling to stay on his feet, which is very difficult, but it's the NHL. You got to be able to do it. Um, Jordan Martinook gets hit with a shot. Now he's hobbling around and it's like, uh-oh, 50% of our guys on the ice are uh, ready to get off the ice and can't. So I saw trouble, you know, forecoming there. But out in front, Hayden Flurry is right on his man. And he doesn't tie him up. It's it's not enough to be there. It's the NHL. The, all these forwards are going to be able to, you know, have the hand-eye to tap one in in front of the net if you're not physically restricting them from doing so. I've said it so many times. What is the point of being on defense, guarding a guy, and not disrupting, you know, just standing there? Like, so what do you, you're leaving it up to chance that your reaction is going to be better than his or that the pass, you don't know where the pass is going to go. So it's not a sure thing that you're able to tip it away or anything. That's just not a good percentage to take, you know? Even if you can get it 60% of the time, you're leaving it open that 40% of the time they score. I don't think that's okay. You might as well not be on him, you know? Um, So, look, when I played defense, I mean, my whole thing was I'm not the biggest guy out there, so I have to figure out how to negate their positioning. And the easiest way to do that is tie the stick up, you know? Push them, push them. Just pester them like people used to I I got slashed I got hacked I got cross-checked so many times because I was annoying but hey how many times are you able to get a clean shot off when someone's constantly messing with I mean I I would do that all the time on the half boards just completely away from the play if I'm guarding a guy I lift this you know I'm messing with the stick it pisses people off to no end um but guess what if the puck comes to them they're not just going to cleanly pick it up and go they're not going to tap it in front of the net when you're tying them up. Um, so at all times, your focus should be, if I'm guarding this guy, let me guard him. Let me let me actually play defense. Let me physically restrict them from being able to score. Uh, if not, you're just there. You're spectating, and you're hoping that your reaction time is better than theirs, and you know they're trying to do the same. They're trying to score. So uh, good players are going to find a way to score if you're not restricting them. So again, I don't want to rag on Flurry too much because he did block a big shot. Uh, I'm sure he was feeling it, and I'm sure that... I'm sure that if he didn't do that and he wasn't hurting, uh, he probably would have had more of a mind to tie that guy up a little better. But he's probably just like, I got to get off the ice, you know? 
but still, rough game for Hayden Flurry in general. Um, I don't want to say it completely negated the first game, but uh, it's kind of my example of I'm not 100% on Hayden Flurry just being, you know, uh, a core piece of the D yet. Uh, I think that he's a great third pairing defenseman, uh, but I, I want to see it for longer. And I think that he can definitely do it. I have all the confidence that he can do it, but I'm just wait, I'm, you know, I'm waiting to get a big enough sample size to make a good call on that. Game number two was not a great one for Hayden Flurry. But game number one was great, so maybe he can come back in game number three and make it good, you know? Uh, but anyway, it is what it is. You go against Nashville, uh, actually today, as this comes out, play against Nashville, and, uh, you know, you gotta your your top guys have to get going. I'll be interested to see what the lines look like for Rod Brendamore. Um, Svetch is obviously going. Uh, you, you need to get Ajo and Teravainen consistently going. They were great in game one. They were eh in game two. Uh, Trocek has looked okay. Um, you know, the fourth line, I think when, when it was a fourth line, honestly, when Martin Nook, um, Martin Nook, McGinn and Dezingle were together, I liked that a lot. Uh, and I liked Aho, Teravainen and Nino a lot in game number one, the middle two, um, you know, so you list off, I think Svetch made it out of that category. So I'll take Svetch out, but Trocek, Natchez, um, Faust, Stahl, which you can take stall out too, because honestly, I thought he played well, but offensively, like he's just not going to give you all that much. Um, I'm missing several other guys, but basically, everyone in the middle there, uh, Fogel as well, needed to do a little more. They kind of got lost in the weeds of the game to me. Like they didn't really stand out. Um, I think that Trocek had a better game too. Obviously, he scores in front, uh, but he'll tell you that it doesn't matter because they weren't good enough to win the rest of the game. So. You hope for better in Nashville, um, and I think that they can do better. Um, I love that the goaltending hasn't let in any softies yet. That's nice to see. Uh, so what can you say? We'll be back to, to talk about how they did against Nashville, but best players got to be your best players, and that's what it is. Defensively, they've got to get a little better. Um, you know, Let that decor that we all talk about every day shine through. Let it be the strength. I don't know that it's been the strength yet. So my dogs are barking. It's time to wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening. Follow at Kane's Train Pod on Twitter. Um, go subscribe, rate and review the show. It's on iTunes, Spotify, you know, Google Play, everywhere you get your podcast from. Kane's Train Pod. Um, check out the Hockey Pod Net. Uh, one one show for every team in the league. Isn't that fun? So sorry there wasn't as much uh, wasn't as much of a lighthearted uh, thing today. But I'll have a guest hopefully on for Thursday's show. Um, you know, first couple games of the season. My my hockey brain is just eager to analyze so a little less loosey-goosey today but we'll get back to it don't you worry don't you worry i'll be in a mood Uh, i also didn't have any weird things to talk about this time there was no uh guys rescuing criminals from crocodiles in a river what can i say stories like that only come through every now and then it's not an everyday thing but anyway thanks so much for listening appreciate you appreciate you as always um and i'll be back on thursday later